talking about landmines today, um, and we're kind of continuing. We've got this week and about uh, three more weeks talking about this, this idea of speaking truth into real, everyday things. And uh, we, we started last week by talking about politics and just how these two things go together. And I encouraged you, and I said, look, I need a lot of trust from you because I think there's a way for us to healthily talk about this and engage this topic um, and actually do something or say something or speak something that really makes a difference. And today we're, we're, we're stepping over that threshold, that dangerous area, where we're going to talk a little bit about some of the issues. And I, I'm just going to tell you ahead of time, I'm not going to resolve everything that you're going to walk out and say, okay, we get it. We, we, we fixed the whole world's problems. Because there is this interplay between kingdom and empire that we struggle with. We all live in the empire. We cannot change that. We live at a place and at a time. But we also are called in Scripture to live into the story of God and to live into this thing called the kingdom. And those two things sometimes are on the same page and sometimes they're towards the same things. And then other times they're really not. Sometimes they're at opposing ends and we have to kind of decide how do we live into something like that. My encouragement last week as we stepped out into the world that we should try to see and seek the kingdom of God. Remember, this is where the Sermon on the Mount with, uh, with, with, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus very explicitly says, seek first the kingdom. Put the kingdom first and everything else, which would include the empire and all these other things, that'll all come and will find its place. If you get God right in your life, it'll change how you are married or what kind of worker you are or how you are in friendships. And yes, also how you engage the world. Uh, maybe another way to say this kind of, a, kind of a landmine and a truth is that politics is a good servant, but it's a terrible master. We say the same thing about money, right? We say the same thing about other things. Perhaps a different way to say that or maybe a better truth is that politics is a tool, not a solution. And a lot of times the rhetoric that has surrounded politics and politicians is this is going to fix it. This is going to make it better. This is going to just change the whole landscape. And I think if we're smart or if we have a slightly critical thinking brain, we'll realize that their job is to make promises that they can't keep. They don't mean to do that on purpose. I think there's a lot of good intention behind politics. But if we look back over the last 50 years, how many things have really been solved that they said would be by now. If we see it as a tool, money is a tool. Money is not good or bad. Money is simply a tool that we can use for good or for bad. And, and politics, I believe, is very much the same thing. Unfortunately, here's, here's maybe a big landmine, is that politics thrives through fear and the illusion of transparency. Everybody, no matter which side of the aisle you're on, you believe your side is telling the truth. And it's not true. The illusion of, we just want to share with you. We just want to help. We just want to do that. Or we, we go the other route of shame and blame. We pick a group of people that we can blame what happened on. You know, I remember uh, uh, somebody said this, and maybe I see this as politics. Uh, but I remember a guy said, uh, it was a comedian that I was listening to. He said, you know, you ever have a plumber come to your house? 
and you've got something leaking or something's wrong. He goes, they always say the same thing. They're absolutely disgusted by what the last person did. They're like, this last guy, I don't know who you had here to fix this. If I had been here, it would have been a $7 part. But now it's going to be $700 because the last guy messed it up so badly. He said, it's amazing among these contract workers how the last one just had no idea what they were doing. And they somehow are the beacon of truth. This ever happened to you? And, and, and then you're, you're standing there like, man, I can't believe I hired that guy. And please, let me pay you, say, 700 bucks and, and, and fix this $7 problem. It's an illusion. Okay, everybody. I'm sure that there is some continuity between that. Or it's fear. You know, the whole house is going to explode, and you're going to lose the children, and, you know, your cars are probably going to get broken into if I don't fix this right now. Well, my goodness, we need to get that fixed right away. Because our world thrives on fear. Hey, if you elect this person, you know, it's going to be Armageddon. If you elect me, the world's just going to be rainbows, you know, and unicorns. But here's the truth that I believe very deeply. Only Jesus kingdom can bring truth to people and we need to remember that i'm not saying that people never tell the truth i'm just saying but jesus is the truth <laughs> is the truth i'm the way the truth the life this is john 3 and while some of us speak the truth jesus is the only one who brings the truth now let's talk about some of the issues immigration Racism, poverty, pick your poison. I think we, we need a little bit of a reality check and realize that what we live in is not one issue. It's not about one issue. I hear people all the time, I could never vote for somebody because of this one issue. It's way more complicated than that. And for us to try to simplify that these things are problems. You know I'm an immigrant. I mean, some of you probably know that more than others or realize that more than others. But I... I was not born here. I was born somewhere else. I came here. I did everything legally, I mean, mostly. And, um, you know, <laughs> I mean, Sheldon was my adopted, chosen name. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But, but, but the reality is, is that pe people ask, they say, oh, so you became a citizen. You know, you married an American, so you just became a citizen. And I say, no, it took 10 years and $10,000 for me to become a citizen. And they were mean about it every step of the way. And people go, that doesn't sound right. And I go, this is... Let me tell you, if you've not walked through the immigration system, you, you cannot understand why illegal immigration is such a problem. I don't believe in illegal immigration. I think people need to do things right. We need to obey the laws of the land. I believe that. But it's difficult and it's hard. And sometimes we make everything about one issue. And, and our system, our world is not, is not about one issue. Here's another reality check. We need to accept that we can't fix everything. I think sometimes we want one person some Messiah-like character to come in and clean the deck and fix everything. And we have to be realistic about that. We have to be realistic because we live in a world where we tell lies. Anybody can do anything. That's not true. We've got to start living in reality and realizing that there are some things that we can have an impact on and there are some things that we cannot have an impact on. And all of these things tie into so many texts one of which you know well, we find in the book of Micah, chapter 6 and verse 8, it says, what does the Lord require of you, right? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Jesus confronts this in Matthew 23 with the relig religious leaders. If you're going to go back and, and reread some of these today, I'm going to go through a lot of texts today, and there's a couple reasons for that. Number one, 
when preachers don't, when preachers use a lot of scripture, it means they didn't prepare enough, so they just got to fill it up with scripture. No, I'm kidding, okay? I, I want, there's going to be a lot, because these themes are rampant. How we live into this is rampant in scripture. And we know passages like this. In Matthew 23, Jesus confronts the Pharisees and says, you guys are doing all the right things, but you're missing this. You're missing the bigger, the weightier matters of the law in verse 23 of Matthew 23. But let's jump now. I'm going to read about three longer texts today, then I'm going to quote a bunch of others, and we'll, we'll go from there. But in Matthew 25, and we're going to be in Matthew 25 twice today, Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31, the Bible says this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory with all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Right? This is an end of times scene. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king, Jesus, now he is king. He's not just Messiah, he is king will sit on the throne, and on his right he will say, Come to me, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world, because I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, that's immigration, foreigner language. And you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. There's poverty. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. The righteous will say, well, when did we do all these things? And Jesus, in verse 40, will say, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. What he's saying is, whatever you did for those people that you were trained to be biased against, that's what least means. It doesn't mean poorest or lives the furthest away. It means those people that you were taught to hate. When you did it for them, you were doing it for me because that was a kingdom moment. Verse 41. Then he'll say to those on the left, right? You didn't do any of these things. You, you lived in your comfort zone. You didn't help people. You weren't engaged with them. And then, and then they will say to you, verse 44, but, you know, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty and in need of, you know, visiting or, or welcome you in as a stranger? says, you just didn't do it. And that tells me you didn't know me, which tells me a nice way you didn't have kingdom eyes. Verse 45, he will reply to them, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. I want to tell you what I think is one of the largest landmines that we have in our world today, especially when it comes to politics, is that we have a false sense of security. We think we own where we are, and we don't. This body is on loan. There are days that I'm very grateful that it's on loan. Aren't you? Looking forward to the heavenly body. This is not mine. This is what God has entrusted to me for a time. This is not mine. It's not yours. God has entrusted the church 
to us. This country is not ours. We do not own the world. It is God's, and everything in it belongs to him. And if we mistake that, this is mine, this is mine. Any three-year-old can say, this is mine. It's not. There's nothing that is ours. They, They are borrowed to us and loaned to us. And we're going to talk about this at the end of the sermon because Jesus explicitly tells us that. We have been entrusted with something. And how we use it is the focus, not to keep it ours. Your families have been entrusted to you. This is why when we talk about when we talk about giving and tithing, and we'll do that in the fall because I do it once a year, one of the greatest principles that you can learn is that everything you have belongs to God and you're just managing it. And if you have that attitude, you will have less possessive nature about your stuff. And you will say, I'm willing to use it for the goodness of the kingdom. Because if you live in the world of mine, what you're telling is that I'm living in empire. You know, there is no I in kingdom. There is an I in empire. That's a really good point. I only thought of that now, and I should totally copyright that. Okay? That is really good. There is no I in kingdom. No, there is an I in kingdom. <laughs> There's no I in owner. No, I don't know. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. But the kingdom doesn't start with, with I. It starts with something else. I want to take you back to a passage of, passages of Scripture that, you know, people don't read very often. It's in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 19. This is the, uh, the catch-all chapter, if you will, of all the laws that they didn't know where to put them. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of blow through these as quickly as I possibly, possibly can. Um, but I want to kind of show you just some of the texts that are here because they address so many of these problems and struggles. And Israel struggled with this as well. Israel was the people of God called out of Egypt. And God takes them to Mount Sinai and he gives them the law. And he says, I want you to be my people and I'm creating boundaries on how you can appropriately invest and engage with this land and this world that I'm giving you. And as we know the story of Israel, they violate that so many times. But in chapter 19, Beginning in, you know, beginning in the first parts of this, um, God tells Moses, speak to the entire assembly and tell them be holy or be different is what that word means. Because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. There's a thing in verse 3 about, you know, respect your mother and father. There's a lot of Ten Commandments kind of repeated in this throughout this text as well. If we drop down to, to verse 9. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your fields or gather the gleanings of your harvest, meaning the stuff that drops while you're, while you're picking. Do not go over your vineyard second, a second time to pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner because I am the Lord. And then right after this, he says, don't steal. Because <laughs> what he means is, when we don't live our lives with margin, when we are just getting as much as we can at all times, for, for at all costs, we're, we're kind of violating what God wants. Verse 13, do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Neighbor doesn't mean somebody who's like you. It usually means somebody who's different from you. Don't hold back wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear God. I am the Lord. Verse 15, do not pervert justice. Don't show 
partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. We, we live in a world where we divide the lines in our head for every single reason. Well, you're different than me. Maybe you're a different race or a different color or a different socioeconomic or a different gender, and we, we, we find these ways to create division between us. Verse 18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Keep my decrees. Do not make different kind of animals. Do not plant your fields with two kinds of seeds. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of materials. I mean, it just goes, just goes on and on and on. In verse 26, you know, don't eat meat that has blood in it. Don't practice divination or seek omens. Do not cut the hair on the sides of your, of your um, head or clip the edges of your beard. Do not cut your bodies for the dead. Don't put tattoos on yourself. Half of you are out now. Um, <laughs> there it is. This is the word of the Lord. No, that's not what it means. Not what it means. Not what it means. Calm down. Um, verse 31. Don't turn to mediums or seek spiritualists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord. Stand up in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly and revere God, because I am the Lord. Verse 33, when the foreigner resides among you in your land, don't mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as the native born. And these are powerful words. Love them as yourself. Why? For you were immigrants in Egypt. You think you're in the promised land now and that you own everything. And God reminds them and says, you were foreigners too. And you did not like the way you were treated, so don't treat people the way that you were treated. Do not use dishonest standards when measuring length or weight or quantity. Use honest scales and honest weights. Treat people respectfully. Listen, I, I know that immigration is a big, a big hot topic in our world today, and people talk about it. And if you read a little bit of history... First of all, the reason why we're scared of it is because we have this mind mentality, and we don't want other people, you know, it was fine 50, 60, 100 years ago when people were more migrant, and people would come in, and they would work for a minute, and then they would go back home, but then they said, no, no, we're going to build a wall, so people were like, well, now we can't go back home, so that means we've got to bring our whole family with us, and because the system is difficult, now we've got to stay, and we created the problem ourselves. I'm not saying that there weren't people that were abusing the system because they always will be. But a lot of the problems that we have are the ones that we ourselves have created. And we have a double standard, and I'm just going to call it out. We have a double standard. Because when I drive around my neighborhood and see houses being built, there is a certain kind of music that's being listened to, and I don't listen to that kind of music. And I don't tell people when my house is being built, I only want, you know, people that are legal. We don't say that. And so we allow that in parts of our system to do things for us that we don't want to do or will cost less. But then we have a, a kind of a, a, an against approach to the other side of things. If we lived in places where we were just in abject poverty, would we too not try to seek better lives for our families? Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying let's just open the gates and tear down all the walls because I think that creates different problems. But we have to start to think about this. 
how do we live into Matthew 25 where Jesus says, welcome the strangers among you. You were foreigners. Find a way that you can do that properly. How do we consolidate that with some of our political views? Are we not violating God? And I'm going to tell you, I don't know what the answer is. I think we have to ask that question. We have to say, how does our faith and view of kingdom influence how we engage the empire? And if we don't ask that question, then we have to really consider if we are the people of God. Ezekiel 47, it's a long passage. I know I'm throwing a lot of text at you today. I'm just going to read this one. It says, you are to distribute the land among yourselves according to the tribes of Israel. This is for Israel. You are to allot it as an inheritance for yourselves and for the foreigners residing among you who have children. You are to consider them as if they're native-born, as if they're Israelites. And you should allot them an inheritance as well. And this is what God makes a declaration of for these people. We've got to stop seeing the lines of us and them because it's simply not kingdom-minded. That's why when Paul writes to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 2, he solves all the problems. He says this, and your, your idea, your, your identity should be that you do nothing out of selfish ambition or in vain conceit, but in humility value others better than yourself. If we walked out of this place today and every person we encountered, we did the anti-mind. <laughs> we said, you are more important than me. It would change the way that we talk about all the issues. Which tells me, for me personally too, that when I have a problem and I divide people in my mind, it's because I'm living into selfish ambition. I'm under the umbrella of empire. And when I lay that umbrella down and I take up the umbrella of kingdom, and I see people as brothers and sisters, it changes the way that we see things. This is why he says, think about others as better than yourselves. Each of you not looking only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, meaning Jesus could have said mine because it was his. But he set that aside and refused to take up that title or that mantle. He didn't use it for his own advantage, the Bible says, but rather he made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant. And even though he was made in human likeness and being in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Even the little humanity that he had, he poured that out and became obedient to God and was willing to die on a cross so that you and I could live in a world without boundaries. And when Romans talks about this, when Paul speaks about this later in Romans, he says, and that's the reason why there's no difference between Jews and Greeks. Jews and Gentiles, young and old, black and white, rich and poor, men and women, but you can just make the list. Because Christ has shown us how to do that. 
even in Romans 12, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. When you leave this place, you need to live with an outward approach towards the world. You need to see them as people. Have, you know, this is something that somebody told me once, and I've never been able to get away from it, and there are times that I really wish I could. Because sometimes, uh, you know, we go to Walmart, we, stand, we, we stop at a light, and there's people there with signs, right? And my first thought is, where did you get a cardboard and a sharpie? I mean, how, where did you get those things? Somebody said to me once, a long time ago, he said, when you look at those people, this is what you need to think about. That person was created by God. That person is loved by God. That person is valued by God. I don't like doing that. It's just so much easier for me to go. But I, I stop and I do that. And it's not about them. It's about God. We are God's entrusted God has entrusted us with where we are, with who we are, with what we are. We're coming back to, Rome, uh, to Matthew 25, the second time through it. If you want to know a little bit about, uh, about how Jesus talks about kingdom, talks about coming together, the gospel of Matthew is the most powerful gospel but this is a parable that we know very well. It's a parable about God entrusting things to us. And I want us to think about this a little differently. Verse 14, it says, again, it would be like a man going on a journey. He called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold or talents, you might know this parable, to another two and to another one, according to their ability, then he went on his journey. And let me tell you how we've traditionally preached this. This is what we've said, right? God has gifted you. You might be a five-talent person. You might be a two-talent person. You might be a one-talent person. And you need to use your talents for the glory of God, right? That's what we kind of do. It is that. But what if I took that and said, okay, let's, let's think about where, where we live and the time that we live in. And let's think about this in terms of countries. So if we said... Somebody went on a journey, and to America, he entrusted, how many talents would you say? Let's be honest. I'd say five. Would you disagree? Five. Now, there's other countries have two, three, four. How much responsibility come with five? <laughs> Just think about that. He goes on his journey, the one who has five, he goes out and he makes five more. The one who has two goes and makes two more. The one that has one buries it in the ground. That man loves empire. And then it says, verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants, who's the master in the story? It's obviously God, returned to settle accounts with them. The man who had received five said, look, I've done five more. I've done good. The one with two did the same. The one with one says, well, I was just so scared of you, I didn't know what to do, so I just buried it in the ground, and I did nothing with it. And the master looks at him and says, you're an evil and wicked servant. Take 
what was given to that person and, and, and you know, do something else. And then the ending of this passage, it basically says, and throw this worthless servant outside into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. If we read that for us or our church or our country, are we doing great things with the five or are we burying them in the dirt? And I think the answer is probably both. There are things that we do really, really well, and there's things that we are terrible at. And when the master returns, it's not just going to be, how did you do? It's how did we do as a church? How did we do as a country? How did we do as a nation? How did we do as a world? It's bigger than that. And that's why a word for us today is, if we don't, who's going to? Who will? If you and I are not going to do it, who's going to do it? Are we just going to try to elect the right official so that they can do it? Or are we going to take up that mantle? Now, maybe one of the things that helps us, a landmine and a truth, is the empire is always promising to fix things, but the empire, uh, the kingdom realizes that only thing we can do is change. We can affect change in the lives of people. We really can't fix a whole lot because people are people and people are awful and we just can never get everybody on board, but we can affect change where we are. We've got to stop seeing people as problems to be fixed rather than that they are lives that need to be changed. A lot of times people have not met Jesus, and that's why they're trying to throw everything in the kitchen sink at their problems, but they're not living into kingdom because they have no relationship with the Lord. That's why the ultimate truth is only Jesus can change people through encounter, through the process of encounter. If you walk out at the coffee bar, you will see the first line on a three-line vision that we have is for people to encounter Jesus. Because I believe that people are changed when they have an encounter with Jesus. That's what changes me. It's not when somebody has a good argument or when somebody looks good in a suit. What changes me is when I follow Jesus more I want to show you a picture of a place here, and then I'm going to read some stuff, and we're almost done, I promise. I've got a little video in a minute, so we're almost done. I do need the last one. Um, this is very hallowed ground. You learned about this in history. It's a place called Gettysburg. It's a place where 50,000 soldiers all Americans butchered and killed each other on this field because they were trying to push the empire forward. And then a president named Abraham Lincoln gave a speech. And one part of the speech was this. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on the great battlefield of that war. We are here to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives so that a nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. And as you well know, the story of history just a few days later, 
somebody took this man's life with the spirit of empire. There was another movie that made us think about Gettysburg again. It's called Remember the Titans, and you well know it. What some people don't know is that some of the words that I'm going to read in a second came off of tombstones that were at Gettysburg. This is Coach Boone, remember, played by Denzel Washington. As the boys run in the middle of the night out to this place, he says, anybody know what this place is? This is Gettysburg. This is where they fought the Battle of Gettysburg. 50,000 men died right here on this field, fighting the same fight that we're still fighting against ourselves today. These green fields right here were painted red, bubbling with the blood of young boys, smoke and hot lead pouring right through their bodies. Listen to their stories. This is what came off the tombstone. He said, I killed my brother with malice in my heart. Hatred destroyed my family. You listen. Take a, list, take a lesson from the dead. We don't come together right now on this hallowed ground. We too will be destroyed. Just as they are. There's a story that's told in Christian circles. You've heard it before story of a starfish. Starfish, there's places where there are spring tides that wash hundreds and thousands of these onto the shore. And there was a man one time in a parking lot that pulled up and was just kind of watching the beach. And he saw a little girl picking up starfish and throwing them back into the ocean. And he was enamored by this moment of what, what is she doing? And eventually, as he got out of his car and walked along the beach, just among hundreds and thousands of these starfish, fish that can't move themselves, he was picking them up and throwing them in, picking them up and throwing them in, picking them up and throwing them in. And he went up to her and he said, little girl, what are you doing? There's no way you can save all the starfish. You cannot make a difference picks up a starfish, she throws it in the water, and she says, made a difference for that. And if we could start to see our kingdom lives like that, it would change how we think about things. I believe one of the ways that we can counteract selfishness in our world is by being a part of something bigger than us. Last week we talked about the Emerald Angels, and this is something that we're going to embark on together. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about how you can be involved in that. It's not going to solve everything. I just want to tell you. It's not going to be the fix you've been waiting for. But it's a way to throw a starfish back. Let's watch this video together.
these two dimensions. Initially, I cannot grasp the concept that somebody will be there for you for free. It's really heaven sent for me. It's like a big blessing. I was so overwhelmed because I don't have family. I don't have friends who have signed up to be the babysitter of our kids. And suddenly, there are these people, strangers, who are willing to help. There are a lot of things that our love box here has done for us. The listening ears and the time that they spend with you. It's like you have a friend. They are consistent. They are committed. When you have the love box group, there are people whom you can depend on. Everybody's busy, but there's somebody who's giving you their free time just to be with you and listen to you. I don't know how we're going to go to foster care without our love box. Great video, isn't it? <coughs> We're not showing you that video to, to rile up your emotions. But if we took our energy and our uh, our effort that we throw towards the things that don't matter, what would happen to our world if we threw it towards the things that do? You know what that story is? That story is you, and it's me. It's what God did with us, right? fostered us, and we went back to our old lives time and time again, and then there was an opportunity for us to become children of God. We're not going to change the foster care system, which is broken, right? But we can be starfish. We can change it for one family. We can make a difference. We can show them the love of Jesus. Did you notice the language she said? These people who were strangers. That's Jesus' language. That's our calling. You know, 
for a couple. I'm not going to play this game, but I think it'll make sense to you. You know, if you want to sponsor two people, it's thirty dollars a month, which is a dollar a day. And I know that that's it's just for just a dollar a day. It's overused, but we spend more of that in suit and totals on ourselves, on mine. If you're a, a single person, I want to encourage you: fifteen dollars a month. The cards are on the end of these seats. Grab one. We've got a couple of weeks. It's till June 6th before you have to get these back to us. Because we want to make a difference. We want to stop living in a world that is consumed by landmines. We want to be a church that lives into truth and that is serious about bringing the kingdom forth. When Jesus prayed, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, he wasn't just praying about himself. He was praying about us. Because if we don't do it, who's going to do it? You're going to wait for the next politician. You're going to wait for the world to do it. But if Jesus is real in us, and we are people of kingdom, we might be able to just change a few lives. Sorry I went a little long today. I know we have you know, only eight more songs, I think, to sing. So, uh, was it eight, seven? You want to cut one? Guys, I hope you hear my heart today. I hope you you listen for God's word, not mine, because mine will be imperfect. But listen for his voice. Father, thank you for our time this morning. Thank you for this as we as we sing a bit of worship. God, I'm I just pray that that you will take the imperfect words that I said today and that you would I know you've been infusing them with your presence my entire ministry. God, I just pray today that that we would hear that we would hear what you are sharing with us. Father, may we be convicted in our hearts. May we, the emotion that we feel, may it not just be a, a knee-jerk response, but may we realize that that is a place where you are wanting the kingdom to break forth in our lives. God, maybe we need to learn the lesson that kingdom only breaks forth through sacrifice. But God, today I just pray that we would that we would know that you are near us. Thank you for adopting us as your children. Thank you for allowing us a place in your family. And God, as we as a church try to step into a project here, and there's so many we could choose from, would it, would it affect our lives and change our lives and help us to see you in the midst? As we continue to worship, may you just set our eyes on kingdom and help us to see Jesus and for that to change our lives. We pray this all in his name and the church together says.